Welcome back to another episode of the Air Power Hour. Tech Sergeant Check here, and joining me on this episode is Staff Sergeant Bryce Conkle, an enlisted sessions recruiter here at the 347th Recruiting Squadron. With 11 years in the service, Sergeant Conkle has been stationed all over the United States to include Hawaii and Las Vegas. As an electrical power production troop, Sergeant Conkle had the opportunity to travel to over 60 different countries. Now, as a recruiter, Sergeant Conkle explains that his main goal is to spread awareness to individuals in his community that the Air Force is an amazing career opportunity. I really appreciated having Sergeant Conkle on. He has a great story. So, without further ado, Staff Sergeant Bryce Conkle. To all units, proceed to your post assignment. All units, proceed to your post assignment. Welcome to the Air Power Hour. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Air Power Hour. My name is Sergeant Check. I'm the host. And today I am joined by Staff Sergeant Bryce Conkle. He is an enlisted recruiter here in the 347th Recruiting Squadron. And I'm really excited to hear Sergeant Conkle's story. Um, he's been an amazing addition to our team here at the Recruiting Squadron. And uh, we'll just get into it. Sergeant Conkle, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. So you just made the drive up here from where? Uh, Carpentersville, about an hour and a half south. Okay. And how close is that? How close is Carpentersville to Chicago? So it's about 45 minutes west of like central Chicago. Okay, cool. You have to deal with all the traffic and everything. So I think it's just outside the realm of the traffic. So it's actually uh, kind of a sweet spot. Yeah. And uh, your commute's not bad to your office and everything. Oh, not at all. That's it's, good. Uh, it's more of like a kind of a nicer area, uh, more suburb area. Cool. So traffic's not bad and still has all the common amenities of a, a nice city. Yeah. And the Home Alone movie, was that anywhere near that? I know it was like on an outskirts, uh, like Chicago suburb. Is it? So it's about half an hour from my house. We drove nice. by it with my daughter uh, during the Christmas time uh, a couple weeks ago. That's pretty sweet. And they've got it all done up and everything. Yes, they do. That's cool. Awesome. Well, hey, I'm really glad that you could come on the podcast. I know that you've you've reached out to me saying that you'd wanted to come on. So um, I'm, I'm excited to hear your story. And I know that there are a lot of people that will be interested to hear your story, especially from a perspective. Uh, you haven't been in the Air Force too long. Uh, we're right? at 11 years. 11 years. That's great. Yeah. So uh, a lot of great perspective from your, your side. And we're just going to jump right into it. So Sergeant Conkle, where are you from and why did you decide to join the United States Air Force? So that's actually an exciting story. So I'm from New Smyrna Beach, Florida, just south of Daytona. Okay. Uh, when I was a kid, I was kind of having a rough patch going through some things. Um, so I ended up dropping out of high school. I ended up with a GED. Uh, the way I got that GED is uh, I got sent to what's called Florida Youth Challenge Academy. Okay. It's for at-risk youth. And it is, is a six-month uh, in-work in, in program. And so I lived there in barracks for six months at 15 wow. years old. Um, went through this whole uh, Army program uh Army Air National Guard program. Yeah. And uh, all the drill instructors are prior Navy SEALs, Rangers, all this stuff. Nice. Um, so during that time kind of gave me the input on how military life would be and just the different benefits I could obtain from it and getting real world uh, advice from people that had done it for 20, 30 years. Wow. That's awesome. 
So that was, uh, they were telling me, we actually took the ASVAB boy over there. And so just being able to go through a program like that vastly changed my life towards the better because God knows where I was headed on a bad path with uh, being the in the situations I was in as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And so that is probably the reason why, like, so when you were 16 years old, were you there? How long were you at this? Uh, six months. Six months. And that's when you decided like, okay, the military is something that I could see myself doing. Absolutely. And when you were done with that, you received your GED. Correct. That's really cool. How did the process of getting into the Air Force work for you um, with a GED? So at the time, uh, when I so I went to a recruiter on my 18th birthday, like literally on my 18th yeah. birthday, because uh, at that point I had so much experience talking to those drill instructors. I knew exactly who I wanted to join with, where I wanted to join, um, and the different like programs that are offered. Um, so on my 18th birthday, I went in there. I you know I said I had a GED. Um, and then the recruiter I was working with at the time, uh, was Sergeant Vitella, she's been retired a long time yeah. now, uh, but we were talking about it. And because again, I took the ASVAB at that school, um, at the time it was a minimum requirement of a 50 on the ASVAB mm -hmm. with the GED. Um, and I had succeeded uh, above that. And so they just, it was treated like high school diploma. Awesome. Rock. That's amazing. Now you said that you had a lot of different instructors from different branches. What made you decide that the Air Force was going to be the branch that you wanted to join? So when talking to Army, Marines, Air Force, Navy, all these different uh, instructors that were there, um, based on their past experiences with deployments or just being around people or being on certain bases, uh, they were just telling me that the job selection is very open, whereas you know certain branches have kind of a more narrow yeah. uh, field of jobs. So it had a huge variety of jobs, quality of life uh, just overall, they said, based on everything they've seen or been through, that the Air Force was the absolute best option to set yourself up for life, not necessarily, oh, this is going to be a cool thing for two years. It's actually career-driven and setting you up for uh, success. Nice. Now, when you were sitting there talking with the recruiter, did you get to select a job uh, specific uh, before you left to go to basic training? So the way that it worked was I was ready to go. I wanted to join. Yeah. So I told my recruiter at the time, Hey, I kind of am open to any job. I just want to go. Yeah. And so she put me on something called a quick ship list. And every Monday morning she would call me and say, I've got this job leaving tomorrow. Do you want to do it? And I would be like, ah, no. And then it got, I did that for about three weeks before I was like, okay, this sounds like it might go on for a while. Yeah. And so at the time she said, I have electrical power production leaving tomorrow. Do you want to take it? I said, I don't really know what that is. And she said that she wasn't a hundred percent sure either. <laughs> and I said, well, let's do it. And I took it and I had no idea what the job was going to be, nothing. Um, and kind of just went into it. Yeah. And it worked out well, right? It worked out phenomenally. Yeah. So you go off to basic training and you've got a job that you don't really know much about. You're alone no family around in basic training. What kind of thoughts, what, what thought process did you have when you're sitting in basic training? So for me, from my personal experience, I basically went through six months of the most strict basic training that anyone's ever seen. Yeah. So going to this for seven and a half, eight and a half weeks, um, it was extremely easy for me because yeah. of the experience that I had, I already knew how to march. I already knew how to do all these different attributes. 
Um, and then my grandpa thought it would be funny and he was like sending pictures and birthday cakes and oh, stuff. No. So I was that guy and, uh, <laughs> like pictures from military school and like, Oh, so you have experience. So like I immediately was given dorm chief and wow. in charge of all 50 other, uh, airmen at the time. Dang. Yeah. Uh, little note, um, when you're in basic training, tell the, if, if you are ever in basic training, tell your family members not to send baked goods like cookies and stuff like that it's not a big uh it doesn't do it doesn't work no for us uh they would send a birthday cake and i they would all be in like uh in this what we called the day room at the time Mm -hmm. um and everyone had to sit there and watch me eat a slice of cake oh my gosh and afterwards they threw all the rest away and it was it was Uh, eventful yeah that's not fun awesome so you you graduate basic training you get your airman's coin and uh, you head off to tech school, your technical school, to learn your job. Uh, what was technical school like for you? So my technical school was relatively close. It was at Shepherd Air Force Base. So we okay. got on a bus and took a bus up to Shepherd. Um, and again, I'm going into this with I've gotten very little information uh, about the job. Uh, so we go into it, and I start learning that the job that I had picked is. Uh, based on diesel engines and alternators and generators. Nice. And I've been a car guy my whole life and super into engines, cars. So I, at that point, actually got kind of excited. Like, yeah. oh, wow, this is working out way better than I initially expected. Um, and then the school was broken up into blocks, which were one-week increments. Mm-hmm. And so the first week was learning about just basic uh, instructionals, how the Air Force actually um, puts those together so you know how to read them. Yeah. And then... One next week, it was straight into engines, learning how engines operate. Uh, myself had some background with it, so again, it was just awesome getting all that super hands-on experience. Yeah, for sure. And then again, every week was something different uh, between AC electrical, DC electrical, and then the last four weeks of it. Um, my job is also encompassing of what's called an aircraft arresting system. Okay. Um, any tailhook equipped aircraft, if there is an emergency, whether it's brakes, engine, anything. Um, they would call an in-flight emergency to the air traffic controller mm-hmm. and they would put their tail hook down and similar to on an aircraft carrier, we install a cable on the runway Oh, nice! and would catch airplanes in emergency situations. So we went through four weeks of learning about that equipment as well. Nice. And the coolest part about it is you're getting paid the whole time. Getting paid the absolute, the whole time, paid free food, somewhere to stay, just not, no worries in the world. Just focus on learning. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, I went to technical school after I completed basic training in my job. Of course, I didn't really know anything about my job, but the title is air transportation. So in my head, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to be in the air. So when we first got there, I w- we got to tech school and I was like, so when do we get our flight suits? And the instructor just looked at me. I remember his name, Mr. Van Dong. Wait, no, I don't know. Someone, I don't think it was me, but someone asked someone asked about flight suits and he just looked at me and he was like or looked at us and he said you're, you're not going to need flight suits so it's kind of like a okay well what did i get myself into um but it worked out so you finished tech school sergeant conkle and uh you're ready to rip roaring and ready to go uh where's your first assignment in the air force so my first assignment was at holloman air force base new mexico so pretty much the farthest place i could get from home yeah wow um right off the bat um i got assigned to what's called bear base it's basic expeditionary airfield resources 
So it is a giant compound of every deployable asset you could think of. And our entire mission was maintaining all of this equipment. So that was probably the best situation I could have ever had um, because every base is designed differently based on what they have to support. And so some places you can go, they might have less generators and more aircraft arresting system stuff or vice versa. Uh, we went there, they had 500 generators. Whoa. Um, they had 15 different aircraft arresting systems and every little aspect of my job, they had multiples. So I learned a lot about every piece of equipment that I was going to be working on throughout my career uh, from day one. Yeah, And that's anything great. that could go wrong, we found it because with 500 generators, Obviously, there's so many different pieces that can go wrong. I got to see a lot of what could go wrong. Yeah. So you got the whole the whole pie in one, I not did. just a slice. That's got to be good for uh, you know experience. It was phenomenal. And with the way that I did things, I kind of did a lot of research and a lot of talking on how the assignment system works in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And no one knows everything about it. It's very compartmentalized, very difficult process to understand. Yeah. Um, but I did something where I updated my dream sheet, which is the list of the places that you wish to go. And I did that based on a system that they don't have anymore, but it was a system that showed you all the different people at all the different bases and when availabilities would come up. Yeah. And so I kept changing my dream sheet according to that. And I was at Holloman for nine months and got orders to Hawaii. Wow. That's awesome. Hawaii. That's like a, that's one of those assignments that everybody wants too. Everybody wants it. And there was people that have been at Holloman for four or five, six years and they were so mad. And well, you did the right thing. You, how did you figure out how to do that? Did you have a good supervisor? Um, so, did you talk with someone? So our office had 60 people in it. And so there, we had probably 15 different uh, NCOs or supervisors mm-hmm. and uh, there was, you kind of connect with sometimes, sometimes you can connect with a supervisor that's not necessarily your supervisor. Yeah. And so I had an NCO or a non-commissioned officer that I was really close with. And he was telling me all these different ways that he had through his career that had worked and I followed it. And that's awesome. I've been doing it ever since. And I've had quite a bit of moving throughout my 11 year career. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love having good leadership like that, that, that can, Absolutely. that can give you the hints and the tips and tricks to kind of, to make life more fun. And, and speaking of the, you, so you use that tactic, how many assignments have you had? So I went from New Mexico to Hawaii, Hawaii to work with the, the tactical air control party or spec ops base, um, at Fort hood, Texas, which is an army base. Yeah. After that, I went to uh, Las Vegas and spent some time there. Um, and then with all of those assignments, I've been to 65 countries on random deployments, TDYs, and you, some very unique situations. Yeah. 65 countries. Wow. 65 countries in 11 years. That's pretty phenomenal. That, that's really cool. So you're doing all these interesting jobs. Um, what did power production give you? Uh, did you have any interesting stories about the job or, or about certain assignments? I know some people would love to hear about Hawaii and your time in Hawaii and, and what you did. Um, do you have any interesting stories that you could tell our listeners? Absolutely. So with all the different assignments, like I said before, they all have different missions. Yeah. So New Mexico was all about just getting assets ready to leave. Mm-hmm. 
once I left there and went to Hawaii, now my main mission was all based in Hawaii, taking care of uh, Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam, as well as any other uh, naval or Air Force entity on the base. Yeah. Um, but you can, st- I still deploy, I deployed out of there to Kuwait, I spent some time in Kuwait, again, doing generators and aircraft dressing systems. Yeah. Uh, after that is when I went to the Tactical Air Control Party Base or TACP Base. Um, and there I got some of the most phenomenal training, uh, because Fort Hood is the largest physical footprint of a uh, military installation in America. Wow. And so we would go out into a field where they're shooting tanks and everything in a giant field and we would do mock-ups and be driving Humvees through the mountains, setting up tents and, uh, using simulation missions. So it's kind of like a paintball gun, yeah. uh, within the, uh, M4 platform. And kind of went through all of those aspects of, of that. That's pretty cool. So that was a really good time. And then again, the way that the system worked and I liked the way the things operated, but I do like change. And for me, I wanted to have the biggest breadth of experience. Yes. Um, that was something that I learned early in my career, that breadth of experience weighs so much on the way that people can view you and how valuable you are. Yeah. So I was at the tech P pace for one year. Wow. And I did something called base of preference and I applied for it. And at the time, the percentages were kind of low, but since then they've skyrocketed on acceptance rates of base of preferences. And so there's when I went to Las Vegas and worked with the Red Horse Squadron, which is uh, kind of an elite unit that um, manages everything from uh, quick taskings, humanitarian, and all kinds of unique situations. Sweet. And I was there for three years. And from there, I, some of my missions included going to Greenland. Uh, wow. I was, I was about 400 miles from the North Pole. Dang. Negative uh, 150 degrees. Woo. Uh, installing the aircraft arresting system in ice uh, to wow. be able to catch uh, different planes that were uh, operating up there. At the time, we were working with the, the Royal Canadian Air Force. So uh, they had a situation. So I caught a Royal Canadian plane up there. Um, that was for about 34, 35 days. Uh, I went to Honduras to do a humanitarian mission. Nice. The, from the get-go, I went as a small crew. There was six of us. And we went down there for a week just to kind of create a footprint, kind of see what we were working with. And so I was in civilian clothes in Honduras with the Honduran military hired to follow us around and support us. Wow. While I went to various uh, companies to find out about uh, fuel tanks, electrical stuff, just because we like to buy everything in that country to help support the economy as well as uh, building those schools and hospitals. Or wow, that's really cool. So did you ever think in in your life uh, before the Air Force that you would ever have the opportunity to install an aircraft arresting system in, in Greenland or or be down in Honduras looking at gas tanks and, and different parts? Absolutely not. There, this this is it's an unreal experience from the get-go and every, every day is something new a different experience that I never thought that I would encounter yeah uh, Vegas uh, when I was in Vegas there was some times where we had to go to some uh, unique situations that we're not even allowed to talk about and yeah. those are some of the craziest memories of things that again there's things I can't even say that I got to do and in my past life there's no way that this would ever have been a thing at all. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, you think about it, how much you've done in 11 short years 
that's really, really cool. And at the same time, when you think about it, you've, you've created all these amazing memories and, and friendships and bonds and, and experiences and skills, but you're getting paid to do it for the whole time getting paid. And then in some situations getting paid more for, uh, more unique situations. Yeah. There's something called Arctic duty pay. Wow. I got an extra $250 that month for being in the Arctic. So you could buy more clothes? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was it's kinda it was kinda like similar to a hazard duty pay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we got the extra pay for that. Uh and the flights we was all on a rotator when we went to Greenland. Uh we were on a C seventeen with all of our equipment. There was nine guys on a giant plane with equipment and just kind of relaxing, spacing out, just Oh, that's the best. You get just, to lay down. Yeah. Um, and actually regarding your job as a 2T2 or Air Trans, uh, in Greenland, there isn't one. Oh. So we had to bring one with us. So a job where you, um, essentially you thought that, okay, I was going to get to travel and stuff and you still get to travel quite a bit. Uh, something that a 2T2 never thought he would do is yeah. come with us to Greenland. And then with, when you're in that situation, it's all about supplementing the jobs. Mm-hmm. So you didn't get to just do your job with chaining stuff down and doing nets and then sit for a month. Yeah. Like you were helping us out in the negative 150, uh, drilling holes in concrete and doing X, Y, and Z, helping our jobs and supplementing uh, and actually being able to partake in something that your job normally wouldn't. That would have been awesome. I would have, I would have jumped on that. Heck yeah. That sounds fun. I mean, negative 50 a little, uh, but still really cool. Um, and, and you said you deployed to Kuwait. Correct. Yeah. I deployed to Kuwait twice. I was at Al Jabber. Oh, you were at Jabber. Okay. I went to Salim twice. So the Jabber, it was opening and closing all the time. Yep. So like that time, I think we were closing it Yeah. and then it opened again about a year later. Yeah. Uh, one of the last things that I definitely want to talk about and, uh, with my job at Red Horse is we got to do testing on new planes. Oh, nice. So we did testing um, when the F-22 was coming back. Very uh, cool. Today we want to certify that the tail hook part of it is not going to break off or anything. Yeah. F-35. And then most recently was um, an unmanned fighter jet that uh, it's still in the very early stages of things. Yeah. Um, but That's that sweet. And very interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. So with that hook... Can the F-22 and the F-35, can they land on aircraft carriers? Correct. Oh, nice. That's awesome. So there is different models of different planes uh, to, because there is different stress. Uh, sure. For us, catching a plane on a runway, they have 1,200 feet to stop. So okay. it's a much slower process to stop, but yeah. you're still stopping a 50,000-pound plane doing over 100 knots yeah. in a matter of 1,000 feet. It's still a big feat. Um, but the stress on the planes isn't as vigorous as, say, on an aircraft carrier. That makes sense. Um, yeah. So there's definitely different models. Uh, sure. So now you are a recruiter. I am. How did that happen? How did that process? How did you transition from these all these awesome, crazy jobs to becoming a recruiter? So um, I have a daughter. She's nine years old. And with my old job, I was gone a lot. I definitely yeah. volunteered for 99% of it, always trying to get on the next really cool uh, situation. But I figured it was time to try and settle something down with my family. And yeah. so I decided to volunteer to become a recruiter. Nice. So there's a process called DSD. Um, and that was where people were being selected to become recruiters. 
um, I went around that and volunteered myself because I wanted to put myself in a situation where I could help people that were in my shoes a long time ago Yeah. Um, to try and spread that awareness. Because a lot of people believe that the Air Force, you have to score a 99 on the ASVAB and have perfect vision and all these crazy things that just actually aren't true. And yeah. so I definitely wanted to come and be able to express that you don't have to have a perfect past. You don't necessarily have to be the smartest person in the world to be able to create a good career for yourself and a f- future for yourself and your family. Yeah, that's amazing. And now when he said, he mentioned the DSD, and we've talked about this multiple times on this podcast, but that is the developmental special duty where you get taken out of your career field to become a recruiter. And a lot of the previous or previous people we've had on that have been recruiters were part of the DSD. I was not. Uh, I became a recruiter before that time, so I volunteered as well. And uh, how did that process go for you? Because I'm interested to, to know because I wasn't really, I, I didn't know that we were taking volunteers that we were just doing the, the DSD program. So how did that work for you? So uh, the system that I actually use to uh, do a lot of the different change of uh, stations that I did, it's called yeah. AMS, Assignment Management System. It's very similar to one of the, like the job websites. Uh, like monster.com or Indeed. Like Indeed. So you can go on and say like kind of what your experience is or what your job is and then your current rank and it'll show you all the places that you can apply for. Nice. And if you clicked on recruiting, recruiting was on that list and you would actually, I went on AMS and clicked apply and everything was sent to me, all the paperwork and packets and did it that way. Yeah. I think that's how I did it too. So they must've just reopened the program for volunteers. And then I was the first class since they've started DSD, which was been a couple of years on uh, DSD. I yeah. was the first class to go through recruiting school um, under the volunteer program. Uh, my class had five people in it. Five people. So only five people and you were all volunteer. Uh, we weren't all volunteers. Uh, it was just they were transitioning to this new program. Gotcha. And so they were having trouble getting people actually to the point of getting to class through like logistical issues. Yeah. And so uh, at the time that class was supposed to have like 15 people and about 10 people were unable to attend or for X, Y, or Z reasons. Uh, Our class had five people, which was under the minimum allowed to teach. So we actually had to have paperwork put in and like waivers just to teach the class. Now, did you go through during COVID? Was that? Uh, just after. Just after? So okay. it was still during COVID, but it yeah. was, um, there was still mask mandates at certain places and things like that. Um, that was one benefit of the time that I did go through um, is because when you travel with the military, if you're going to a base that has a dining facility, you eat at the dining facility. Mm-hmm. Well, because of the way that things were working with minimal uh, people inside of buildings yep. and things of that nature, we weren't allowed to go to the dining facility. So we got full per diem or food for money every single day for those two months. Oh, nice. So we made some pretty good money. Yeah, uh, so you're eating good. Well, for sure. Yeah. So how long have you been a recruiter now? Um, actually, I just hit my one year mark a couple of days ago and my certification for recruiting is next week. Wow. Well, happy anniversary Thank you. on your one year. And, uh, Best of luck on your certification. That's absolutely. that's amazing. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're ready. Uh, you've been absolutely crushing it since you got here, and and that's the next question I have. 
I understand your background now and I get, you know, the idea behind why you're such a good recruiter, but what do you think is, what do you think is making you so successful at what you do? Because I take everything with a grain of salt. There yeah. are recruiters across the board. I'm not saying Air Force, I'm not saying any specific branches that when someone comes in and might say, oh, I have a DUI. And then the recruiter's like, mm, yeah, I'm, I've got, I'm so busy with some other stuff. You know, maybe you should talk to somebody else. Yeah. Um, I turn nobody away. I will put all the effort in and whatever's required of me to get that person a real answer. If that answer is no from a higher headquarters of Air Force or something, that's fine. I mm-hmm. will accept that. But I never will tell someone no until we put in the effort to get to that point. So there's been a lot of people that might have a similar past to myself that I've put in the Air Force and are some of the most phenomenal airmen yeah. that I've put in. You're actually doing them a favor and helping them with their their career choice and their uh their future are so much more thankful for it. And it's just, it's a, it's a phenomenal experience to go through. Yeah. And I think that if, if an applicant sees you take the time and the effort to do everything possible to see if they can even qualify for the air force, they, they see that and they're like, you're gaining their respect and, and they want to work just as hard for you as you are for them when they see that. And at the same time, as a recruiter who isn't even certified yet, you are getting so much great experience in like all facets of recruiting. Uh, waivers are very time consuming. They, yeah, they are. Um, but at the end, of, like when you look at it uh, and today's society that those are sometimes the, the, some of the best people um, to join, yeah. but the time consuming aspect can weigh on you sometimes. Uh, there's been long nights and weekends of me getting paperwork together uh, just to make sure that I can better this person because yeah. on as a whole, on the judgment of me seeing them and talking to them, I don't want to judge them on their past. I know from personal experience, people mm-hmm. can have a questionable past and be a phenomenal person in the United States Air Force. Yeah. I, good on you, man. That That is awesome. Uh, I, I can assure you that the people that you're working with appreciate that for sure. So you're at 11 years, you're a recruiter. Uh, what do you see for the future? Of Sar- for Sergeant Conkle. So again, it goes back to the breadth of experience thing and helping people. Uh, I think uh, after this, I'm going to continue to work on rank and things like that. Um, but I genuinely, the goal here is to make rank the next two times, preferably first try, mm-hmm. and get to Master Sergeant and apply for a First Sergeant position. Nice. Now, why why would you want to do First Sergeant? Because uh, first sergeant, um, they do deal with uh, some of the disciplinary actions of things, but they're the ones that are going to help you in situations where uh, if you're having financial issues, if you're having uh, marital issues or just general stress, uh, your first sergeant's the one you're going to want to go to, and they're going to be able to set you up for success in that, uh, give you the correct people to speak to, whether it's um, someone that's got counselor for your marriage or medical if you're having some concerns. Financially, uh, first sergeants have some of the best leeway on understanding and the different people that can help you with those situations. So it goes back to wanting to do everything I can to help people underneath me. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, we have a good first sergeant here. We do. Uh, I think we lucked out. Uh, sergeant Jordan, uh, our first sergeant, has has came in a couple months ago, and, and we had a good first sergeant before him. But Sergeant Jordan's awesome. 
Uh, you can definitely tell that he he wears that that diamond with pride for sure. So, so how does your family like being a, an Air Force family? Uh, so they love it. The the benefits that come along uh, with being in the Air Force for myself, uh, a lot of them are transferred over and comparable to family. Um, there's so many different programs that can help families out, uh, such as uh, my daughter. My daughter has been to all the locations I've stated uh, that were stateside. Obviously, my daughter did not go to Kuwait with me. <laughs> uh, but as far as Hawaii, Las Vegas, Texas, uh, New Mexico, my daughter's been to all these locations. And yeah. we got to um, spend the time on weekends and days off and actually go explore and stuff. So um, when we were in Las Vegas, me and my daughter, we went to the Grand Canyon and nice. uh, went up here. So I just got here about a year ago. So my daughter was eight years old before she saw snow for the first time. Wow. Um, and then she goes back to Florida and just tells all her friends how, oh, she was in Hawaii and she was in Las Vegas Dang. and uh, White Sands, New Mexico. It's a very unique phenomenon. Uh, it's about 10 minutes up the street from Holloman. Wow. And it's an entire desert that is pure white. Dang. And so she got to experience stuff like that um, as well as in the air force you get tuition assistance and so i use that for myself and i continue to use it well we also get the post 9-11 gi bill which is four years of paid college i'm not going to need that yeah so i transferred all of that to my daughter so now my daughter has four years paid college with a housing stipend and she doesn't have to apply for any sort of grants or like it's already set stone she's good to go that's amazing yeah, that is awesome. I love that. I love that GI Bill. It's I transferred mine to my kids as well, because yeah, I'm not I'm not going to use it. That's amazing. All right, so last couple of questions, Sergeant Conquil. Um, this is one that I ask every single guest. Uh, but over your 11 year career, what is some of the best advice or mentorship that you've received, and uh, something that you'll take with you for the rest of your life? Absolutely. So for me, it's going to be to always tr take your, like worry about your family first. Yes, the Air Force is a huge part of your life. And yes, your career is a huge part of your life. But every time throughout my Air Force career, if I had any sort of issues, whether my daughter was sick or anything, that was always priority one. Yeah. Um, and you'll hear about it a lot where people get too intertwined in work and potentially ruin their marriage, ruin their relationships with their kids. Uh, family first, everything else can come second. It's still a priority, but definitely make sure that your family is always taken care of. And I've been told that by countless people throughout my entire career and uh, genuinely believe it and tell the people under me as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that one. Uh, I'm the same way. I've got my, my wife and three kids and uh, they come first. So. For sure. Yeah. If anytime that my wife needs something or my daughter needs something, um, I sit and kind of, I can work around it, um, make yeah. sure that they get what they need and handle whatever needs to be handled. Um, because the, the job, whether I was going to another country or going to a school, uh, everything can kind of be worked around to make sure that your family is taken care of. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And the last question I have for you is, let's say I'm a brand new airman. I just graduated from basic training. I'm getting ready to start my career in the United States Air Force. And I got to sit down at a table with Staff Sergeant Conkle. Sergeant Conkle, what kind of advice would you give a brand new airman? Don't let your preference of certain things or 
you know, your your wants or likes of things uh, trump your potential. If mm-hmm. you can, if you go into an Air Force office and you take the ASVAB test or the military entrance test and you score scary high, don't go and try and get this job that doesn't require high scores or anything because you think you'll like it more. Use yourself to your highest potential possible and set yourself up for success. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's it, Saren Konkel. I appreciate you coming out and taking the time to uh, sit down with us here. Absolutely. Uh, It's been a blast, and I really enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you. Awesome, man. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Air Power Hour. Take care, friends. Take care, friends.